You're listening to Pastor Rory Rogers as he teaches through the book of Acts. If you have your Bibles ready, let's join him now. And as we are in Acts chapter 14, we're going to be picking up in verse 21, uh, finishing up Paul's first missionary journey with Barnabas as he's left Antioch and sailed across the Mediterranean, hitting the island of Cyprus, and then heading up towards the region of Galatia. You can all look at your maps in the back of your Bibles to follow Paul's first missionary journey. Uh, He's hit Antioch and uh, Iconium, Lystra, and Derbe, these, these cities in the region of Galatia, preaching the gospel, and in every city meeting persecution um, on an intense scale. Uh, everything from being, uh, you know, there being riots uh, and, and dissension against them to him even being stoned, uh, supposing him to be dead, they cast him out of the city. And uh, just intense stuff that, you know, hardly a one of us will probably go through on that scale in our lifetime. But as we finish up chapter 14, we come to the end of his missionary journey. And it says there, when they preached the gospel to that city and made many disciples, this is in Derby, uh, they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch. So, Uh, As they began to head east in the region of Galatia, they came to the end of the road for them there in Derby. Not so much persecution in that town. They made many disciples. We read about one of them in Acts chapter 20, a man named Gaius, Gaius of Derby. So neat to read of him and know that he was he was a convert of this missionary journey. But then they doubled on back. And, and went back through uh, where they had just come from over the course of two years. Now, if you think about it, uh, they'd just come through some difficult places. They'd just come through some difficult cities. And it would have been very easy, as you'd already been east, to just head south a little bit, hit the Mediterranean Sea again, and, and sail home. It would be a short sail. Uh, but Paul had something else on his heart as he was led by the Holy Spirit. Uh, he wanted to go back. And he wanted to go back through these cities that had not, uh, had not been easy cities, had not been easy encounters. But he knew that there were Christians there. He knew that there were disciples there. And so he went on back through, doubled back on the map there, if you are looking in your Bible. And it says as they went on back that they strengthened the souls of the disciples. He went back, he counted it a worthy mission because he knew there were Christians there. He knew that there were disciples there that needed to be strengthened and that needed to be encouraged. And you know what an an amazing thing as you think of even who Paul's partner was on this journey, Barnabas. Barnabas, whose name means son of encouragement. That was his nickname. We've talked a little bit about Barnabas. And you can only imagine as they went back through these tough cities that, that there was a man with Paul that was helping strengthen those brothers that man Barnabas, just helping encourage these guys that no doubt the persecution didn't stop when Paul left the town. No doubt the persecution continued towards those disciples there. But here come Paul and Barnabas back. And man, I guarantee that they were a welcome sight uh, back in town as they as they headed back. I think of in 1 Samuel chapter 23, I think of uh, two friends, Jonathan and David, and how when Jonathan's dad, King Saul, was Uh, out to kill David, Uh, there was a point at the end of that relationship, there was uh, at the end of that season where um, it says that Jonathan arose and went to David in the woods 
and strengthened his hand in the Lord. I just, I've always loved that phrase there out of 1 Samuel, that these best friends, David and Jonathan, these guys that, you know, David writes just, our, our relationship was closer than that between a man and a woman. We had this incredible, deep friendship. And that one of the things that was key in that friendship was that they strengthen each other in the Lord. And I think of many of the friendships I have, and I have a lot of friendships where when I'm together with that person, we're laughing and we're cracking up and we're watching movies and we're shooting pool and, you know, we're having a party. We're just having a fun time. And those are good. But how awesome when those, when those friendships go beyond just that and you begin to encourage each other in the Lord, you begin to strengthen each other in the Lord and your friendship has come to a place where you'll stop in the midst of all the fun, you'll stop and you'll say, Hey, let's pray about this. You know, or let's encourage each other in this. You know, I have one friend just, uh, of course, many friends here in town, but I have one friend out of town, uh, uh, the pastor in, in Burns, Josh Bryant. And, you know, we talk to each other about once a week on the phone and we just encourage each other and pray for each other on the phone. And just every time I'm done talking to him, I feel like I've been strengthened in the Lord. And here come Paul and here come Barnabas, the son of encouragement. And they didn't just come through and need a place to stay and eat all of these people's food and then pass through to the next town. We got to hurry up and we got to get back to the dock to sail home. But while they were there, they strengthened these people in the Lord. They strengthened these disciples, the souls of the disciples. And it says they exhorted them or they invited them or they comforted them to continue in the faith. You know, we've seen on this first missionary journey that this was one of their main messages as they would preach the gospel and they would have these times of, of dialogue with disciples and converts and people that were even just interested. Uh, as they would talk to people, they would, one of their main messages would be, hey, you can look back there in, in chapter 13, verse 41 at the bottom of the verse there, it says, they persuaded them to continue in the grace of God. And you might just put a square around that word continue because we find it again here in verse 22 that one of the messages they brought with them as they were strengthening and encouraging and exhorting was that the disciples needed to continue in the faith. And so often we as Christians, we forget that there is that, that, that verb of Christianity that we need to continue in fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 22, there's this awesome jewel, there's this awesome prize for us as it says that we will be presented holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. Does that sound good? Man, those of you that know that you're a sinner, that sounds good, huh? I want to be presented holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. But it goes on to say, if indeed you continue in the faith. You've got to continue in the faith, you guys. You know, we've got to continue in the grace of God. Because if we don't continue, for those of you that are young, your camp experience, or maybe those of you that are a little bit older, a Billy Graham experience or a Harvest Crusade experience, or a really emotional Sunday morning experience, or a women's retreat, or a men's retreat, or whatever you think of in your history of that pillar monumental experience with the Lord, those are great, but if you don't continue, they mean nothing. 
They mean nothing. In fact, if you don't continue, that's evidence that all that was in the back there was just an emotional roller coaster experience and you just got wrapped up in the moment and there was not a heart decision for the Lord. It was just you were going along with the sway of things. You must continue. I must continue or that experience means nothing. We, we've got to start believing and then we've got to continue on believing because the relationship with Christ, it's a day by day by day by day relationship with him, not a one moment thing with him. And so I ask you, how are you doing with Christ today? For Paul, he forgot the things that were behind and he pressed on towards the prize, that upward call in Christ Jesus. You see, Paul had a monumental experience in his history, in his testimony. Yeah, there I was walking on the road to Damascus and I was going to go kill Christians. And all of a sudden, a great bright light shone down from heaven. I fell off my horse, a voice from heaven. Jesus himself talked to me and said, quit persecuting me. And I, you know, and then he gave me this message. I went on, I had scales on my eyes. And then after, you know, a few days, the scales fell off. I was baptized. Woohoo! You know, well, why are you here in the bar slopping drunk, Paul? Ah, don't worry about that. But man, check out back then. I was good in my prime. It's like a high school football player that never moved on. You know, man, remember the state championships? You're 45, man. Take the ring off. Take the letterman's jacket off. You know, move on. Continue on. I fall into that, you know, because, you know, I love my testimony. I love that when I was 14 years old, I went from being kind of a lukewarm Christian walking in my family's Christianity. And, and one day just the Holy Spirit came upon me and it became real to me. And the Lord set me on fire for him and gave me boldness for him that at 14 years old, I'm standing in the middle of my school, handing out gospel tracts to people, pleading with classmates to come to Jesus. I'm preaching in the middle of my math class. My teacher's a Christian, so he's cool with it. And you know, people all around me are getting saved. That's awesome, but that was 15 years ago. <laughs> you know, I can't just be living 15 years ago. God wants us to continue and continue on and keep pressing on and, and not just stay at a plateau in our relationship with him, but to go higher up and further in for him. Not to be content where we're at, not to grow complacent, but to, to be like a stream that has that constant movement because whenever that stream comes into just a puddle and it doesn't have anywhere to go, it becomes stagnant at the end. May the Lord keep us moving. May he keep us continuing on in the faith. Every day saturated with Jesus, continuing in grace, as he told Antioch in chapter 13. Continuing on in the faith, as he tells Derby here. And as he tells the people on the way back through. And then they also said, they also exhorted them. That we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. And so how did they strengthen these disciples' hands in the Lord? They strengthened their hands by informing them that the Christian life is not without trials. Boy, what a way to be encouraged. <laughs> what a way to be strengthened. Hey, this is as good as it's going to get. <laughs> you know, hey, you're in for a big, you know, you're in for some big trials. You're in for some big hardship. Oh, thanks, buddy. Hey, never come back, okay? You know, we don't need that kind of encouragement. And we're going to come back towards the end of, the, of, our, of our study today, and we're going to come back and look at this, 
this exhortation a little bit farther that we must through many tribulations enter the kingdom of God. But I wanted to just go through the chapter and then we'll come back. And so as they had appointed in verse 23, as they had appointed elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended him to the Lord in whom they believed. And so we've seen one of the ways they're encouraging the brethren is, is they're spending time with them. They, they know these guys that are of good reputation, of good report. They have the qualifications of eldership that we read in First Timothy. And, and as they prayed and fasted, we see they appointed elders. They gave elders these responsibilities and they commended or they entrusted them to the Lord, this work of the ministry. But notice this commendation, this responsibility was not laid on them without much prayer, without much fasting. In chapter 13, at the beginning of the chapter, we read that as well, that, that as they prayed and they fasted, the Holy Spirit said, okay, set these people apart for the work of the ministry. And Paul tells Timothy, you know, don't lay hands on anyone hastily. Don't lay hands on anyone in a hurry, but pray and fast. And again, we see the pulse of prayer throughout the book of Acts. Again, we see just this prayer relationship that was regular, even a fasting uh, practice that was regular within the church. And so they, they prayed, they fasted over uh, entrusting the stewardship to these leaders, to these men. And after they passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia, heading down to the coast there. And when they'd re, uh, and when they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Atalaya. So Atalaya is just down there on the coast on their way back. They're almost by the harbor, but they go over to Atalaya where they hadn't gone yet on their first way through. And there they sailed to Antioch where they'd been commended to the grace of God for the work which they'd been completed. And so we see that homecoming, that home trip from their two-year missionary journey. And I bet you it was a rockin' homecoming. You know, I was so blessed. I've, I've been on quite a few missionary trips. Um, not like ex- extraordinarily many, but a few. And uh, I took some high schoolers to Brazil uh, it was two years ago already. That's incredible how time flies. Um, but this was a very special trip. This, this group of kids was part of this Truth 101 class that I had as they'd get out of school and come and learn these fundamentals of the faith. Then we went to Brazil together. And on the way back home, there's just a special time when you're flying back in and you've got 30 high school kids with you. And you're just wondering who's going to be at the airport to greet us. And if you've been to the Portland airport and you're coming back, uh, you get through those x-ray area or, you know, the, the x-ray part and you come out there and there were, you know, there were about 60 people, moms and dads with banners and flyers and welcome home Brazil team. And this huge verse on the flyer spread across and, and kids just go running home and greet their parents. And man, that was a wonderful homecoming. It was beautiful. And I bet as Paul and Barnabas came home, these people in Antioch were just thrilled to see them um, as they come back to where they had been originally commended to the grace of God. That word commended speaks of entrusted or committed, having a ministry committed to them. They had just come out of these uh, church areas and they'd committed a ministry to the, these elders they had appointed in, a, in the same way that they had been committed in Acts chapter 13, verse 2, with this missionary journey. You know, uh, Paul talks about in three different places that we've been committed. The ministry of reconciliation. 
You know, you might be thinking, how come I've never committed anything? How come no one entrusts anything to me? Hey, if you're a believer today, you have been entrusted with an incredible ministry, that of reconciliation, that of restoring the relationship between God and man and bringing men to Christ. In Galatians chapter two, verse seven, Paul says that, that they had been entrusted with the gospel and then again in 1 Timothy 1, 1, the glorious gospel of the blessed God had been entrusted to Paul. I believe we've been entrusted with that same incredible gospel. That same wonderful ministry of reconciliation has been entrusted to us as well. And so they come back to where, uh, really home, they come back to the missionary hub for the early church. And they reported all that God had done with them. Notice that it was God that had done it and they had t- he had teamed up in a glorious privilege with Paul and with Barnabas as he'd opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. Interesting that Paul refers to, or actually it's Luke writing here and actually Luke was there in Antioch. He says, uh, he makes it very personal there that, that the uh, door had been opened through Galatia. If you were in the 242 group last week, uh, one of the questions was, does Acts chapter 13 and Acts chapter 14, do the experiences that we read of seem like open doors to you? Or if you had gone through these experiences, would you have considered them actually closed doors and that you weren't where God wanted you? We should probably get back to the ship and head, head home as soon as possible because we've got nothing but closed doors. What do you think if you've been here the last three weeks? Does it seem like the dissension that was stirred up in, in Antioch of Pisidia was an open door? Does it seem like uh, the prominent men and women that had Paul thrust out of town, does that seem like that was an open door? Does it seem like it was an open door there in uh, Lystra when Paul was stoned and cast out of the city? Does that seem like an open door? We would probably, if we were there in the midst of it, we'd probably be like, we got to get out of here. These people are hard-hearted. These people are not ready. But Luke declares it here to have been an open door. And when you look past all the trials and all the tribulation, all the persecution, you think of those disciples that were made. You think of those churches that were planted. You know, they didn't just establish missionary bases there in Galatia, but they planted churches there. And they appointed leadership within those churches. And you can look from the the perspective of the Holy Spirit inspiring Luke to write this, that those were open doors. You know, I've mentioned a little bit, a dear friend that I have, just like a brother, who at the same time I came here to Prineville, he went to Belt, Montana and, and kind of took over, for lack of a better phrase, took over a community church there. And, you know, they'd done everything to bring him in. They'd flown him out. They paid for all their moving expenses. And the day he got there, he found out that they were in the midst of a large church split and that there was one half of the church that absolutely hated the other half of the church. And there was this war there. And he had just moved his family. All right, you know. And, uh, and as he petitioned the church and urged the church to, to just, let's get rid of all of our past thinking. Let's get all of, rid of our, all of our traditions, you know, of 30 years of church tradition. And let's come back to the word and to prayer and to a work of the Holy Spirit. And there was a remnant that said, Amen. And there was a larger remnant that said, we hate you. They began to get death threats from surrounding cities and throughout the city. And the city, the town is only 250 people. So imagine if 
If a few people in the town don't like you, nobody likes you, you know? And he's just, he'll, he'll call me. He's like, Rory, you don't know how blessed you are there. You don't know, man, I wish I had a Kevin Vaughn and a Chad Carpenter, you know? Oh my gosh, send them on out, send them on, you know? And, and I'm just like, sorry, buddy, they're mine, you know? And, um, and as we went down to the pastor's conference in Marietta, uh, my pastor Rob and, and this dear friend Chris and myself, we were sitting and talking and, and Chris w- had given up and had quit. Like he'd quit and come back like three times at the conference. I quit. Oh, I can't quit. Oh, I quit. I can't quit. You know, and we just said, well, you know, why, why, why quit? You know, and it's a closed door. The people hate me. And I just remember uh, Pastor Rob just saying, man, what makes you think that's a closed door? That pe- why, why do you think that's a closed door? Man, but they hate me. I get hate mail. People are threatening me. Death threats. Yeah, but dude, that's normal Christianity. That's normal. You know, we in America, we are not the norm. Prineville is not the norm. This church would be walking in peace and, and that people from the outside don't hate us and that we're not having, you know, that's not the norm. We're the anomaly here within the Christian church. And even that this church has had such a, man, we've got a blessing here that we need to be praying that the Lord would keep the peace within the congregation. That is a, that's a beautiful thing. But man, just encouraging my friend, man, just because there's these trials doesn't mean it's a shut door. You know, the, just read the book of Acts, man. That's, that's normal in the book of Acts. And so uh, look at what God had done, this open door to the Gentiles. So they stayed there a long time with the disciples. So that's the end of this first missionary journey, the homecoming, the report that is given. And then we'll just flip back uh, here to that exhortation to the brethren as they went back through these cities. And I just wanted to camp out a little bit on the exhortation as they strengthen the souls that we must, in verse 22, we must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom of God. You know, like Paul, I'd like to strengthen you guys with that sentence. <laughs> and that's, that's almost a paradox, isn't it? That, that seems impossible. I would like to strengthen you, my brothers and sisters, with the phrase that we must, through many trials, through many hardships, through many sorrows, through many dissensions, through many conflicts, through much pain, through much persecution, Enter the kingdom of God, both within this world, the kingdom that's already, and in the future, the kingdom that is not yet. And so this applies in a couple different areas. And and concerning persecution, again, we're the deviation from the norm here in America, that we're not persecuted severely, hardly persecuted at all. Here in America, we train our missionaries to be theologians. In my class of school of ministry, there were 32 of us. Many of them went on to be missionaries in other countries. But they had the exact same training that I had in theology. Uh, you know, but in the last, uh, you know, as you look at Chinese missionaries, Chinese missionaries are trained not to be theologians, but they're trained to be martyrs. Not in the way that Islam trains, you know, their uh, fundamentalists. Uh, to be martyrs and that, hey, just look for an opportunity to blow yourself up. But within Christianity in China, they're trained to, hey, be willing to suffer. People are going to come after you and people are going to hunt you to blow you up and to kill you and to destroy you. In the last 100 years, there have been more Christians killed for Christ 
than in the last 1900 years combined. Isn't that incredible to think of? Get on Voice of the Martyrs website, persecution.com. I encourage you guys to go home and to look at that website and to see what is normal in the world today. You see, we think of persecution as the first century through the third century, you know, and, and the Roman Colosseums where Christians were dressed up like sheep and fed to the lions or cast out there with the gladiators. That really is in our mind. That's what persecution is. That's because we're Americans in Prineville. But man, as you look at the rest of the world, that every Friday in some Muslim countries, there are beheadings of Christians in open public squares every Friday. Think about that as you're ready to go home and watch, watch TGIF, you know, and get a pizza and a movie with your family. Man, like Hebrew says, remember those who are chained for Christ as if you are imprisoned with them and pray for them, make mention of them in your prayer. In Africa, Christians are crucified on a regular basis. Our brothers, our sisters, my school of ministry instructor, I remember him talking of a man who was a trainer of missionaries in Sudan. And they would have a class of 15 to 30 uh, students every year. And every year at the graduation of this little school of ministry, it was such a bittersweet ceremony, full of so much joy, but then full of so much tears because the, the, the director of this school knew that over half of them would be murdered or martyred for Christ within the first year of being sent out in Sudan. But you know what? Every one of the students was so thrilled so thrilled on their graduation day to be being sent out as missionaries into Sudan because they were blessed that they were counted worthy to suffer for Christ. They were so excited that they got to pay that price for Christ. Persecution, it's normal within the church. And so yes, for you, just as for those guys in Sudan or in China, for you, you must enter the kingdom of heaven through many trials. That includes persecution. As you're openly uh, open-mouthed about Christ, you will be going through persecution. Just watch. Just test that. Go be open-mouthed about Jesus and check out the responses. But also suffering on a, on a non-hostile way. Just through being part of this fallen world. We'll suffer in our bodies. We'll suffer in our families. We'll suffer in conflict. We'll suffer just through worry. We'll suffer through homelessness and, and joblessness and, you know, cancer, disease, sickness, thorns in the flesh. That's, that's a normal thing for a Christian life. Suffering is part of the Christian life and is something that can be expected. Do you expect suffering? Flip over to Philippians chapter one, verse 29, and you can underline it after I read it. For to you, it's been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake. Are you encouraged by that? Woohoo! Pumped up, I know. We must, through many trials, enter the kingdom of heaven. For you, Christian, it has been granted not only to believe in him. We all love that part. Yeah, I believe, I believe, I believe. But also to suffer. In Romans chapter 8, verse 17 through 18 there's also the beautiful, you know, there's the beautiful part. And if children then heirs were heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. So being heirs of Christ, we're adopted, 
We're given an inheritance. There's such reward for being a Christian, such grace bestowed upon us. But it also says, if indeed we suffer with him, that we also may be glorified together. And then he goes on to say there, for I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us. When you think about that, that we've been appointed to suffer and we must, through much suffering, enter the kingdom of heaven, that that seems like so weighty, doesn't it? But on that scale, on the opposite end, is the glory that's prepared. The glory for those that overcome. The glory for those that stand firm in Christ. The crown that will be given us. And I don't say that so we can all get stoked that, yeah, I'm going to get something out of the deal. Because what we're going to do with that crown is just cast it before the feet of Jesus because all glory goes to him. It's because of his grace that we even get a crown. And so we just cast that crown back to him. But that glory, man, it's not even comparable. Don't even put suffering on the scale. Don't even put it on the scale. And so we have been granted not only to believe in him, but also to suffer. This suffer and these trials in a Christian's life produce fruit produces fruit in us, a finished product. As you're still there in Romans, you can just flip back a couple chapters to chapter five, verse three. It says, and not only that, but we also glory or actually brag in our tribulations, knowing that tribulation produces perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. And it goes on to say, and and hope doesn't disappoint. And so we can glory, we can boast in our trials that we go through because those trials are making produce or making fruit, producing awesome things in our life. We'll get more into that in just a a minute. But so often we think as we go through these trials that God has abandoned us, that we've done something to anger God, to displease God, and he's, he's angry and so he's pouring out some kind of wrath upon us as Christians and that's why we're suffering. And so it's important to know that that is not the case. Romans 8.35 says, Who shall separate us from the love of God? Shall tribulation or distress? How about persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Those are all descriptive of trials and of tribulation. And if you're here today and you are going through a trial, you're going through a period of, of despair, Know that God has not abandoned you. Know that in the midst of this trial, you're not alone. God's not pouring out wrath upon you. He hasn't pulled his love away from you. If you're going through a a period of distress, if you're going through a period of hunger and you have to eat down at the oasis, if you're going through a period of nakedness or peril, any, any one of those things, you have not been separated from the love of God. He's working something out in you. He's working out a greater weight of glory in you. In 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, we see that God uses our, our trials to encourage others who are going to go through trials. You know, God is called in that section the God of all comfort, an awesome name of his. And it says that he comforts us in all of our trials So that when other people are going through trials, we can comfort them with the same comfort that we have been comforted with. And just one question is, how can we know the comfort of God 
and that that's one of his attributes and that that's one of his names if there's never been anything to be comforted from. Why would we need the parakletos, the Holy Spirit, the, the comforter, if we didn't need strength, if we didn't need power, if we didn't need comfort? He allows us to go through things so that we can receive his comfort. And then one day, We're going to come across someone that we can minister the love of Christ. We can minister the comfort of Christ. And we're going to be able to say, hey, you know what? I've been right where you're at. I've been right where you're at. My husband has left me too. I had a miscarriage too. I can sympathize. Let me weep with you. And let me point you to the comfort that is in Christ. I've lost my wife as well to breast cancer. And man, let me tell you how I got through it. But by the grace of God, man, let me point you to the comforter. We can comfort those in the same way that we've been comforted. Paul refers in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 10 through 12. And you can flip over there. We're going to be doing some flipping today. 2 Timothy 3, 10 through 12 says, But you've carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perseverance. Verse 11, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me in Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra, what persecutions I endured. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. So there in 2 Timothy, it's Paul's last letter that we know of. It's kind of the final pulse of Paul before he goes and is beheaded there in Rome. And as he's writing to Timothy, he refers to some of his deepest trials, And what does he refer to? What we've just gone through. That first missionary journey. Antioch, Lystra, and Iconium. Persecutions that he endured. endured, Afflictions that he endured. And and did he make it out of them? He said, out of all of them, the Lord delivered me. But then on the subject there of suffering, he says, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. We must, through many trials, enter the kingdom. It has been granted to you not only to believe, but to also suffer. And if you want to live godly in Christ Jesus, you can take it to the bank that you will suffer persecution. But you know what? Jesus never asks us to do something that he himself hasn't done. He himself suffered. As 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21 tells us, it says, You were called this. You were called this and I was called to this because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that we should follow in his steps. And it goes on to say he committed no sin. Deceit wasn't found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he didn't threaten, but he committed himself to him who judges righteously. So in the midst of the trial, in the midst of the persecution, Christ is the example He didn't curse God like Job's wife wanted Job to curse God, but he committed his soul to him who judges righteously. Suffering also works a purity within the lives of a believer. Why must we suffer tribulation? Why is it granted on behalf of us not only to have a reward, but also to suffer? Well, in 1 Peter chapter 4 verse 1, you can flip over there as well. It says, therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves also with the same mind. For he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin, 
that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, but for the will of God. So as we suffer, there's a purification that, that works through us. Because as we, you know, grab our Bibles and would head out to church or, or an underground church, just waiting to be caught by the police who would throw us in jail or, or torture us for the name of Christ or kill us or kill our children or kill our wives. No longer are we just living lives flippantly, trying to fulfill every lust of the flesh, living a lukewarm, lazy, complacent Christianity, but we're really realizing the reality of the cost we're making. And we're not focused on the flesh anymore. We're focused on how we can please the Lord. There's so much more of a cost when we're going through periods of suffering, periods of persecution. Now, you know, we know from the whole of scripture that when we've ceased from sin, it doesn't mean that we've become sinless in nature, but that, you know, there's way less sin in our lives. We don't have time for sin. We don't have time for looking at that or, you know, going and partaking of that substance or doing that with this person or whatever it might. There's no time for that. We could die for Christ tonight. You know, let's, let's pray. Let's read the word. Let's strengthen each other in the Lord, man. We don't have time for these works of the flesh. And in first Peter chapter four, you're already there. Look in verse 12 through 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though some strange thing happened to you, but rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory is revealed, you may also be glad with exceeding joy. If you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he's blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. And then jump down to verse 19. Therefore, let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to him in doing good as to a faithful creator. So from this point on, you guys, as we're here in chapter four of Acts, verse 22, and we're told that, you know what? We must, through many tribulations, enter the kingdom. It should no longer be a surprise to you that you would suffer either in a persecution sense or a trials of this world sense because we live in a fallen world because we're made of flesh that's perishing and and decaying and, and there's a bondage of corruption within this world. It should not be a surprise to us. We should not think it strange as Christians that there's a fiery trial either happening to us. You know, it's been said, you're either going into a trial, you're in a trial, or you're coming out of a trial, you know, all the time. That's the state that we're in because there's a, there's, there's a deeper picture than what we can see. There's an eternal weight of glory that we can see. And the glory of God is, is going to be brighter and brighter and brighter as we suffer and as we rejoice in those sufferings. Suffering is the norm within the church, both in, a, both in a persecution sense and because this world is corrupt. At the, at the uh, Council of Nicaea, one of the most important early church meetings in the fourth century, out of the 318 delegates attending, fewer than 100, or excuse me, fewer than 12 had not lost an eye or a hand or did not limp because they had been maimed and lamed by torture for their Christian faith. This is the fourth century. Less than 12 out of 318 people weren't lame or maimed for Christ in some way. So this is the early church. That's the example that has been set for us. 
And I think that as we're living the Great Commission and as we're living in the power of the Holy Spirit to be witnesses in a book of Acts fashion, in a biblical fashion, we too will be suffering persecution. We too will be suffering these things. Not only did Christ not ask us to do something that he himself wasn't willing to do, he suffered, he was an example, but Paul himself suffered and was an example. And when he says, you know what? You guys, there's going to be trials. There's going to be tribulations. There's going to be persecution. But you know what? I'm not just telling you to do it. I'm going through it with you. And Paul knew. Remember how in, the, in Acts chapter 9, right after Paul was saved and Ananias was told to go and pray for Paul, how Ananias was afraid to go there and talk to Paul. Remember how Jesus said, hey, I've shown him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. So from a baby Christian Paul knew all that he was going to go through for the name of Christ. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, he was able to continue. He was able to endure. Let's flip over to James chapter 1, verse 2. And how is it possible, as we're going there, how is it possible that, as you're thinking of all this, that someone could be strengthened through a message like this? How is it possible someone could be encouraged through someone telling him, you're going to suffer? Don't be surprised when you suffer. Get ready when you suffer. Some of you are suffering right now. You don't need to get ready for anything because you're suffering right now. Well, in James chapter one, verse two, James, the brother of Christ says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Listen to the Phillips paraphrase on this. It says this, When all kinds of trials and temptations crowd into your lives, my brothers, don't resent them as intruders, but welcome them as friends. Realize that they come to test your faith and to produce in you the quality of endurance. But let that process go on until endurance is fully developed and you will find you've become men of mature character and the right sort of independence. We can have joy in the midst of trials and tribulation and persecution and we can count these things or consider these things as our friends because God is using them to make us better. God is using them to perfect us. God is using them to make our faith perfect. And that's really what is being made perfect, is our faith. These hardships, we all know they come to us in many different forms at one time or another. And we think that it's a strange waste of human life. You guys have heard that a lot. How is it possible that if God is so great and so loving that he could let these fragile lives go through such hard things? I can't believe in that God. We try to rationalize it in our, in our mind that these sufferings at all costs should be avoided. But knowledge informs us otherwise. We've been given knowledge through the word, the word of God, that there's something else behind trials. There's something else behind tribulation. There's something else behind persecution. And James, the brother of our Lord, is a good pastor because he knows what his people are going through. He knows that these Judean Christians are suffering persecution that 
every one of them in some way or another is going through a hard thing and really in their case persecution among other things and as a good pastor he speaks the truth that instead of resenting these things and hating these things and considering these trials to be foes and something that should be avoided we can actually welcome them as friends have you ever ever welcomed a trial as a friend are you crazy are you stupid the lord's just working that in me i was going through something the other day and i was like man this is a tough trial and as i've been kind of preparing for this text i was like wow okay consider this joy consider this joy count it joy god is doing something right now and it was like an epiphany and yes it hurt (laughs) I literally was like mindful of you're doing something here, Lord. You're doing something in me and you want to glorify yourself in me and how I'm going to act in this trial. And other people are going to see how I'm responding in this trial. Wow, I can count it as joy now. And in James saying this, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. He's not suggesting that in and of the trial itself, that the trial is joy. Okay. As if it produces, you know, as if in and of itself is like the source of joy. You know, that's wrong. That's like masticism or something like that. That's like, don't go searching out after pain. You know, the reality is trials hurt. Wounds are painful. Loss is difficult. You know, there's, there's no denying that. But the trials, the loss, and the wounds are all an occasion for major rejoicing. It's an occasion. Get the party streamers out because it's an occasion to party. Unrestrained rejoicing when we lose things. When my dad died, we refused to call his memorial service a funeral. We decided to use it as an opportunity for joy. And my mom, with a smile always on her face, who's been refined through many trials, said, this is Russ's graduation. He's graduated. No longer is he held back by this fleshly tent with limitations, but he's in the presence of Jesus and he's got no more pain. Let's rejoice. And we had a graduation cake there and we, you know, had streamers and we celebrated. We used the suffering as an opportunity for unrestrained rejoicing. And you can only do that if you've got the right perspective. That it's not in this life only do we have hope, but we have hope in the next life as well. When you get your eyes off of this here and now, there's so much more. Perspective is key when you're going through trials. We think those two can't go together. We think it's a paradox, you know, it's almost a lie. Count it all joy when you go through various trials. What? How can that happen? You got to have the right perspective. Thomas Goodwin, who was a, a Puritan thinker, said this, this is the hardest duty required of the distressed hearts of men. The hardest duty required of the distressed hearts of men is to say, count it all joy when you fall into trials. Count it all joy when you're in pain. Count it all joy when you've been wounded. Count it all joy when you're being persecuted. This is the hardest duty required of the distressed hearts of men. And he goes on to say, and yet God would not require it if it were unattainable. God is not asking us to do something that is impossible. This is his economy. This is truth. You can count it joy when you're in the midst of, of trial. You've got to have perspective. That's why James says, consider it. 
You've got to willingly consider it. You've got to deem it. You've got to keep it in mind. I will think of this trial in this way because the Lord tells me to. I will count it as joy. And the benefit that we're going to receive as we go through these trials is directly related. It's directly related to our perspective, to our considering of it. That direct thing. And Paul was able to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 4, I'm filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all, all our tribulation. How could Paul say that? Because he had perspective. He knew that God was doing a work. He knew that trials were inevitable, that they were unavoidable, and that God can use them to refine and to perfect and to strengthen the faith. And then he goes on to say, Count it all joy when you fall into various trials that we're facing trials or falling into various trials. It's the same verb, that word face or fall. It's the same word of the good Samaritan who fell among, or not the good Samaritan, but the traveler in that parable who fell among robbers. He wasn't out looking for robbers. He fell among them. They jumped on him. It's the same word used in Acts chapter 20 when Paul's ship fell upon the sandbar. They weren't looking around for a sandbar to strike. They fell onto it. Okay. They come from all directions, and it says various trials there in James chapter 1. There's all different kinds, shapes, sizes. They're everywhere, and they come at unexpected times. But it says, knowing this, that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith, there's a process that happens. Not only do we have to have the perspective, but we have to understand the process is happening of us being tested in the midst of this tribulation, and that testing is of what? What's being tested? Our faith. And the faith that it's speaking of is that faith that we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, our saving faith. As we are going through these trials, we're able to see if we're really saved. We're able to see because in the midst of the trial, we will be calling upon our gracious Savior. We'll be trusting in our gracious Savior. We'll be finding ourselves counting it joy as these things are tested We'll be able to see if our faith is genuine or if our faith is fake. Trials test us. They test us. And they make a finished product. Those of you that are into making things and carpentry and, you know, uh, you labor with your hands to get some kind of a product, you know that the, car, that the product does not just appear out of thin air. But what causes that product to be finished? Painstaking work, right? Labor, toil, sweat, blood, you know, time, energy, effort, not always pleasant, but that finished product when it comes out, it is going to be, as Peter tells us, to the praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. And that's in context of suffering. We are being made into finished products. Produce is being produced. (laughs) Fruits, patience, character, hope as our faith is tested. Do not hate these trials. Don't think of them as foes, but consider them friends. Two weeks ago before our Wednesday night corporate prayer and worship, I just went into my office and I was just feeling just the weight of your guys' trials. And I I was just, I'd talk to people and I'm going through this and I've got this back pain and I've got this and this and I'm going through that and this person in my life is doing this to me. And I was just struggling before we came together to pray. And I went into my office and I locked the door and I fell down on my face and I just started sobbing. 
And I just thought people around me have got to hear me wailing in here. And, you know, people are coming to my door like, what's going on? And, they're, and I'm just like, oh, my goodness. Julie Erickson and her back pain. John Dick and his neck that causes him so much pain that he loses vision. You know, and this person's homelessness and this person, this and this person's divorce and this person's marriage struggle. And just your faces were coming to me and I was just sobbing and weeping. There are trials in this church. There are things that I never want to go through that you're going through. And you guys know that we're mindful. Know that at the prayer meeting, we are praying for you. I know there's trials out there. And, and I'm going to be praying for you that you wouldn't consider this a foe or an opportunity to curse God, but that you would see it as a friend and an opportunity re- to rejoice in God. I want to close with this Charles Spurgeon quote from 1883. You look at the weather-beaten sailor, the man who is at home on the sea. He has a bronze face and mahogany-looking skin. He looks tough as oak. He would not become a hardy sailor by staying on the shore. Now trials work in God's people, that spiritual hardiness, which cannot be learned in ease. You may go to school forever, but you cannot learn endurance there. You may color your face with paint, but you cannot give it that ingrained brown, which comes of stormy seas and howling winds. Strong faith and perseverance come by trials. To reach that condition of firm endurance and sacred hardiness is worth all the expense of all the heaped up troubles that ever come upon us from above or from beneath. You guys, God is working something in you through these trials. But if you put the trials on the scale and you put what God is working in you in an incredible way, they're not even worthy to be compared. God is working something so incredible and beautiful in you. May you have that right perspective. May you choose joy in the midst of the suffering. Come on up, Stuart, and and we can put our things aside. And Stuart, could you just lead us in that it is well with my soul again? And we just want to respond to the Lord in faith. We're going through trials. I bet every one of us has some sort of nagging worry or or thing on the back of your heart today, maybe at the forefront of your mind today. And just today, would you by faith count it joy? Count it joy today. And as we sing this song, we're going to have the elders come on up. And I'm going to be just up in the front. And if you're going through something right now, and just you need to, in obedience, count it joy. I want you to come up with us. I want to pray for you. I want the elders to pray for you. As you just respond to the word of God and say, Lord, you, you say to count it joy. I'm going to obey today. I'm going to count it joy. I want to glorify you in my suffering. And I want people to see that I trust in you in the midst of it all, that you are working something great. And that my life is yours and you can do with me what you want. If you're going through a trial today and you need to obey, you need to respond to the word. You're going through things that I can't even begin to imagine or guess. Come up today and say, I will praise you in the midst of this. I choose to. And we want to pray for you too. Come on up as we sing this.
You've been listening to Pastor Rory Rogers, pastor of Calvary Chapel of Crook County, located in Prineville, Oregon. For more information on this ministry, or if you'd like to contribute, please feel free to write to us at P.O. Box 378, Prineville, Oregon 97754, or check us out further on our website at www.calvarycrookcounty.com. We thank you so much for listening, and we pray that this ministry has blessed you. 